today we are going to talk about building strong marriage, building a strong marriage. And, and, and I just want to just, before we even start, let's just kind of, that whole song about how God's just grace is just washes over us. I just want that to just wash over us as we just kind of enter into this. Um, I can tell you that I've had all of my own shortcomings in this area. Um, I, I, I've, I've had a divorce in my life, and, and I've only done one relationship right my whole life, and, and that's actually with my, my lovely wife. It's right, you know, I mean right, you know what I mean. Uh, what would you say? Right-ish? Yeah, right-ish. I've done one right-ish. Um, but, but with Anna, I, I had a very different understanding and a very different concept in, 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 in what this looks like. So, uh, you know, God, God has given us marriage. Marriage belongs to God. Uh, God. God didn't just start with Adam and Eve and go, oh my gosh, uh, God, am I, now I've got a male and female, what am I going to do? Oh my God, I'll just, here, I'll make this marriage thing for them. No, marriage is much deeper than that, and we're going to talk about that, what it actually represents. But so here's the deal right now. Um, if, if you're not married or whatever, we're going to start with singleness and we're going to start with relationships as we start because what we're doing is we're foundationally want to be laying something that is uh, able to sustain relationship for the long term. Our verse out there, Luke 648, that you might see when you come in, which is kind of the, the verse that we founded the church on, is this idea of, about, about foundations. It's about that, that the person that, that we are to dig down deep through the sand and build foundations on solid rock, on something that is able to sustain things for the long run. Too many times, and especially today in our culture, relationships and marriages being built on sandy, on a sandy foundation. So then what happens is that when the storm comes in, it washes all of that sand out from underneath the structure and that structure tips over. So don't tune out. Uh, you, you, you may know people, maybe you're not married or you're not in that spot right now, but, but, but I think that some of this is going to be really good advice. And again, if you're not married, if you're single, we're going to be addressing that right off the bat. 43% of first marriages end in divorce today right now. And 60% of second marriages do as well. So we actually don't get better at it by having done it once and, and, and messed up. We, we, we actually have a worse outcome with the statistics for what those are worth, but nobody's actually subject to statistics. Let's know that. But 60% of second marriages also end in divorce. Uh, we, the, the, the world has a concept of this and a misunderstanding very much of this, and, and, and the world can approach this and very much does today saying, look, um, we'll get married, but if things don't really work out... We can always just get divorced and, and we can go our separate ways and start over. The problem with that is that the destruction that this is causing in the culture that we live in, the, 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 the brokenness and the really the heartache and the difficulties that divorce brings with it is just stuff that is foundationally causing our entire nation, I think, to just really waver on a lot of levels. Now, now, now listen, as, as we talk about these things, I, I want to acknowledge that there are there are single moms and single dads out there that are doing phenomenal work, that are doing great work, and we absolutely support and love and respect that. But, but God has this plan, and God's plan is an A plan. And at the end of the day, what we really need to begin to do is trust and believe and know that God, who has given us directive and direction in this area, actually knows what he's talking about, and that he's a God who is able to, um, it, through, uh, through his word, 
through the direction that he gives us, is able to help us with the outcomes that we get with this. So let's start with the concept of being single and entering into the potential of relationship. First off here, if you're single and you're not in a relationship, here's the world's perspective. The world's perspective is this. I'm looking for my soulmate. I'm looking for that person who will complete me, right, and make everything perfect. Let me just stop there and say that person does not exist, right? There's a reality, see, in this. That person does not exist. And, and if you're out there and you're looking for that, you see, there's, there's kind of culturally, there's this thing that we've got going in which um, because people are like, I'm, I'm out to look for this person who is perfectly my soulmate, who is amazing, and who is flawless, then, man, people are putting people aside left and right because they find some flaw in them. So let's just start from the premise of you're going to find a flaw in somebody. What you've got to begin to determine is, is that flaw something that you can live with or is it something that you cannot live with or those flaws, might I say, actually. So, so here's the deal. The world is going to approach it this way. The world is going to say, look, I'm looking for that person who's amazing, who is everything that I ever wanted them to be, and who is going to complete me. And not only that, but they are going to bring something to me in a big way, right? Because this is how the world falls in love. The world says, well, I love you because of a feeling. Now, we're going to have to get deeper than feelings on this whole thing, or we're never going to succeed when we start to look at this concept of love. But, but let's just start with this idea that the world says, look, I love you because of what you bring to me. I really love you because maybe you're hot. Maybe you got a lot of money. Maybe you improve my status. Maybe you're funny. I don't know what that is. But generally for the world, there is some sort of a payback. And we're in the relationship with someone because of what that person brings to us. Um, and so... so this, this idea is that really what God calls us to is something much different than that. You see, I believe you should have a list. If you're single here today and you're looking for somebody or you're going to want to be in a relationship, you should have a list of characteristics and points of integrity and things like that that you want to see in this person's character who you're going to be with. I, I fully believe that. And, and I think you should have a list that says, man, this is really the things that I uh, find attractive and these are the things that I want in a spouse. But here's the deal. You stop there and you recognize that if you want to be with that person, that person is going to have a list too, right? They're going to have a list. And now your job as a single person isn't to go out and to find that person, but your job is to be the person that that person might qualify as a, as a, as, as a, as a potential uh, spouse or whatever that looks like. So starting with singleness, what does that look like? Well, well, I believe this. I believe that, um, that God has given us directives in this, and, and I think that the world right now is very much mishandling it. I think that we don't understand. We, 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 we do things like we start to talk about falling in love, right? As if we were just walking down the sidewalk and we were texting and we just fell in this big hole and it was love. And if you fall in love like that, then I'm just going to tell you, you can also get out of that hole. You can also fall out of love, Right? And so, so this stuff is really complicated. I mean, as a matter of fact, when it comes to marriage and all of these things, what we're talking about is the most, one of the most complicated relationships that there is out there, right? It's, it's taking two sinful people and merging their lives and all of their gunk and junk and stuff like that and somehow coming out of it the other side as this, as this unit that is um, functional, 
So the world, again, approaches it by what do you bring to me? And, and when you're bringing all of the right things to me, that's why I'm in it. I'm in love with you for these reasons. You see, love is going to have to become an action word. It's going to have to become a verb in our vocabulary because if it remains just a feeling, then the day that you no longer feel that stuff, you're going to start looking somewhere else so that you can feel that stuff again with somebody else, most likely. You see... God wants us foundationally to lay a foundation on things that will sustain a relationship long term. One of the big struggles that we have today is this. Physical intimacy too soon comes into our relationships. Now, the Bible's clear on this, and we may or we may not like this, but the Bible, God has given the marriage covenant as the only place, the only place in which physical intimacy is, is to be practiced. Anything outside of marriage is sin, period. That, that's, that's the plain teaching of the Bible. It's sin. Here's what happens. When we bring the physical intimacy into our relationship, and, and let's be honest, I mean, the reality of the world out there is if people waited a month, they would, they're like, well, we, we actually, we waited. We waited a whole month. Well, the problem with that is this. The problem with, with the physical in- is that it changes the dynamics and it changes the structure of the relationship right there. As a matter of fact, it, I believe this. I believe that our divorce rate on some terms is as high as it is is because people too quickly bring physical intimacy into their relationship. What happens then? Well, again, it changes the nature of the relationship. It changes everything about it. It becomes a default. It's exciting. There's all kinds of things that are going on. It's, it's pushing all kinds of, of adrenaline and all kinds of uh, responses in our brain. And, and, and it keeps us, at times, from relating and starting to understand this person and, and connecting with a person on levels that will sustain a relationship long term. Let me just say this. Physical intimacy will not will not sustain a relationship long-term. As a matter of fact, your physical intimacy is a, is a barometer of the nature of your relationship. When your relationship is strong, when it's dynamic, when things are happening, then your physical intimacy is also good. But whenever that other, those other connecting points begin to struggle and suffer, it's the first thing that leaves. It's the first thing that begins to suffer in a relationship that way. Why? Because we're not feeling a certain way. God has got these foundations. And again, you see, if we try to build on that, we'll be building on sand. God wants us to, to dig down through the sand and to, and to actually build on something that is foundationally strong enough to sustain a relationship long term. The first thing that you need to connect on is spiritually. If you're a believer in here, you should not date an unbeliever. If you shouldn't be in a relationship with an unbeliever. It's, it's plain. Your, your spiritual relationship and your spiritual uh, life is too important of a thing to not share with someone on a lifelong basis. It's too important. You, you, you need to have that connection. And if it's not important today to you, I promise you it will become important at a certain place. You want to be equally yoked with who you're with. 
So I don't, I, I don't advocate missionary dating and things like that, right? Dating with the chance that they might become a Christian. The Bible just doesn't teach that. And I know that this is hard and some of these things, and they're difficult and they're concepts that, that the world has kind of uh, messed up on us. But here's the deal. God wants you to connect spiritually with someone, to recognize that there's a potential for a ministry in your marriage, that there's, there's, there's the potential for, for living your life for things that are greater and deeper than just you. You need to connect intellectually. You need to understand. You need to come to know, is this person somebody that I actually intellectually connect with and, and, and I enjoy spending time with? And emotionally, is this somebody that, that I care about them, not just somebody who is meeting my, my needs at the moment? All of these things, you see, the physical part, and, and especially early on where it's so just kind of tantalizing and all of those kinds of things, it keeps us from the depths of this. But I promise you, you leave the physical aspect out of your relationship, it will force you to come to terms with this person and if this is someone who you really want to spend the rest of your life with. What happens in marriages too often or relationships prior to marriage is that intimacy is way up here and commitment is way down here. Intimacy is really high. People have lived together and, and acted like they were married when they weren't. And so guess what? If there's any kind of doubt in that person's mind at a certain point after intimacy is way up here, now getting out of the relationship gets incredibly difficult. Why? Because, because you bonded. Be, because there are things that have happened within that relationship, in that bonding process of physical intimacy, that, that now to get out of the relationship doesn't look like just getting out of a relationship. It looks like a divorce. And I think that people too often, even though maybe sometimes down in their heart, they know maybe this person isn't exactly who I should marry. And, and now that some time has went by in our relationship and stuff, I'm not exactly sure that this actually is the person that I thought that they were. And, um, but I can't get out because we're in too deep. Because to get out would start to look much more like a divorce. See, if we're basing all of these things just on feelings, we're going to be in trouble. It's the second most important decision that you're going to make in your life. The first one is your, your relationship to Jesus. The second one is who you spend the rest of your life with. It's incredibly important, and you want to do it well. Here's the other benefits to it, okay? This, how about if your honeymoon was actually something amazing and beautiful and not just business as usual? How about this? How about if, how about if you entered into your marriage having accomplished something that was incredibly difficult together right off of the bat? Now, don't get me wrong. This is going to be hard you see, because the natural progression of a relationship is, is that you want to express that physically together at a certain point. It's the natural progression of this. We get that and we understand that. And to not do that is, is a very difficult thing, but it's a good thing. Why? Because it allows you to really build on the things that are important. Look, here's the deal. If you want to make a good cake, you can't just make it out of icing, okay? You can't. Icing doesn't make a great cake. If you want to have a great cake, you've got to measure out some ingredients. You've got to have some varieties of different things. You, you mix up all of those ingredients and you, and you get it right and you preheat the oven and you put it in there and then, you know, you pull your cake out. You can't just frost it right then either. You've got to let it cool down. There are steps and there are things that are appropriate to this so that you have a good cake. 
and I'm going to hold this. God wants you to have a good cake. See, the, 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 enemy's, the, the enemy's deception in this is that, is that God is withholding from you. That, that, that God is just, he, he's, he's just this God who's like over the top of you. And, and he, he was just wants to withhold from you, but God wants to give you the best. He wants to give you the greatest thing. And, and here's the other thing. When we've fallen short, when we've, when we've, when we've, when we've messed up in this area, we've, 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 we've not done things in accordance with what God would say, the picture is repentance. It's to turn. It's to agree with God. It's to ask God for forgiveness and to allow God to restore you. Really, repentance is just stepping back into the truth. It's, it, sometimes it looks like this. It looks like saying, look, we foundationally laid a foundation that really wasn't godly. It wasn't biblical. It wasn't what you called us to, God. And we repent. We turn from that. And we're asking your forgiveness, and we're asking you to restore and redeem and rebuild something new in our lives. And God is faithful to do that. See, it's not about shaming. God isn't about shaming you. It, the, whole per, uh, the whole thing about repentance is just stepping over into reality because reality is the place where God's healing touch begins. It never begins in denial. If we just stay in the place and we say, oh, it's fine. I'll do it how I want to, God. I don't want to hear from you and I won't listen to you. Well, then you'll stay in denial and you'll stay foundationally where you're at and when the storms come, I don't know, you may or may not withstand it. But when we repent and we say, God, you called me to this and I did that, then it, but, but I was wrong and I want to do something more right. Now we've entered into a place where healing begins. Healing always begins with honesty. Before we have any healing in any area of our lives or in our marriage and our relationships, we have to be honest. Once we get honest, things start to change. So why do we get so wrapped up? Why are Christians so wrapped up in this idea of marriage? Why are we so bent over it, and why do, we, why do we have such a, you know, so many things? Well, it's this. It's because the Bible begins and it ends with marriage. And again, marriage is not just this concept that's of the world. Marriage belongs to God, and God created it this way. Marriage is this beautiful expression of, of relationship that, that, that God has given us, and that, that relationship that God created us to have is an expression of who He is. You see, He's created as He is. He hasn't just done some random thing. It's a structure, and it has a purpose within our society, and, and just as we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have a husband, a wife, and a child. And those are a representation. They're meant to be an earthly representation of the nature and the character and, and a picture of the Godhead and who He is. And foundationally, it is the core of our society. And if we want to have a good society and we want to live in a good place and in a good world, then we're going to need to see our marriages strengthened and our relationships done in a way that promotes that and builds that. See, it's the cornerstone of our society. It is the design for families. Think about this. I, I think this is incredibly profound, and it's something that we can only know now that they couldn't have known so long ago. But the Bible says in this union that the two become one. And when physical intimacy is brought into the covenant relationship, there's the potential for, for reproduction and, and, and for children. And the interesting thing about that is that at that point in time, it, it, whenever uh, that happens, then you have one cell from mom and one cell from dad that, that meet up, each carrying half of the DNA of the other one. And those two cells merge literally 
into one brand new cell that has never existed before and will never exist again. And God allows us to be co-creators with him in that whole process. What an amazing thing that God has given us. What a gift that God has given us. You know, I mean, if nothing else gets your hand up on Sunday morning, that should get your hand up on Sunday morning that God has given us such a gift of this. See, it's God's design. It's not bad. It's not dirty. It's, not, it's, it's, it's beautiful, and it's God's design, but it has parameters for our safety and our well-being. Here's the other thing, is that any, uh, about any uh, secular counselor out there in the world will tell you many times that if there are problems inside of the bedroom, that those problems originated outside of the bedroom and in people's past and in the relationships that got brought into the whole of this thing. You see, God has an A plan, and it is for our good. Marriage is something that takes you outside of you. It forces you to to actually learn about you because you're faced with you, and we're faced with our selfishness because now we're beginning to not just do life on our terms and for us, but with somebody else, somebody who's very different than us. You see, you just can't get away from yourself in marriage and you have to start to deal with yourself. The problem that we tend to have in marriage is that we start pointing the finger at the other person. Well, you did, 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 right? When actually what we really need to do is we need to recognize this. And here's the hard one, church. Marriage is not to make you happy. It's to sanctify you. It's, it's to change you. It's to help make you holy. It's God's institution that takes us outside of ourselves and connects us with somebody who's vastly different. Again, two sinful people together uh, trying to make this work, and and it is to change us. It, It is to get us outside of ourselves to where we become a people who start to desire to see that spouse, that person that God has given us, we want to see them, we want to see them flourish, and we want to see them do well. And it takes us outside of ourselves. The same thing with the children that come from that relationship is that now you're wearing your heart on the outside, right? And God is is always trying to draw us out of ourselves and into relationship with others. And marriage and parenting are amazing tools that God has to begin to change us, to, to have us be less selfish. What is marriage? Well, it's a lifelong commitment of intimacy. It's in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. They vow faithfulness and they meet one another's needs. It's sort of a tries version of of what is marriage. See, again, the world world, uh, enters into this relationship saying, I'm in this relationship for what you bring to me. How, what you've got, what you bring, and all of that stuff. And the day that you don't bring it, I'll begin to withhold from you the things that I know that you're in it for. See, because in the marriage relationship, you're, you're going to be known by somebody on a level that nobody else knows you. Your parents don't even know you to the degree your spouse is going to know you. You're, you're, you're that intimately acquainted to one another, and, and we know each other's needs, and we know each other's uh, wants and desires and all of these things, and, and, and so we're, we can be really good at beginning to withhold those things that we know the other person is in it for. But you see, the Bible calls us to this. It calls us to be selfless, 
You see, in biblical marriage, you're not trying to get your needs met. You're trying to meet the needs of your spouse. That's your job. Your job is to meet the needs of your spouse. And your spouse's job is then to meet your needs. And this is an individual dictate. This isn't, this isn't something that you hold your spouse to or they hold you to. This is between you and God, but your job as a spouse is to meet the needs of your spouse. Why? Because we all have needs that need to be met. This is a reality. You've got a tank that needs to get filled up. But how you fill that tank and how that tank gets filled up can be drastically different. You see, by the world's view, it's like this. It's if you perform well and you give me what I need, then I'm going to give you what you need. But if you don't give me what I need, then I'm going to withhold what I know you need. And we enter into these withholding patterns. But you see, really, the picture biblically is that we're going to, I'm going to meet your needs unconditionally. Not based on any kind of, of uh, not, not, not based on performance, but based on what God calls me to be, what my position before God is. I'm going to, I'm going to meet my, my wife's needs. And hopefully, in this, because you're going to need two of you to do this. Let me just say this up front. You're going to need two of you committed to do this. Otherwise, somebody's going to run out of gas. I'm just saying, we got to be real at the same time. we got to be real, too, that people don't keep taking chunks out of each other forever before somebody's going to fall over at a certain point. That's real. But if you have two people and they're committed to this and they're committed to this model of meeting one another's needs, then guess what? Everybody's getting their needs met, but not selfishly, selflessly. And that is drastically different. That is a drastically different way to have a a relationship. Now it's not based on performance. It's not based on what you did. It's based on me just fulfilling what God has called me to be, to be a husband, to be a wife. See, it's not a feeling. It's an action. It's an action. Love is the act of doing things. It's the act of serving the needs of the other. You see, the Bible, Jesus is radical, right? He, he calls us, he says, Yo, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Now, how are you going to do that? If it's a feeling, you can't do it. If it's a feeling, you can't do it. But here's the interesting thing. The Bible never calls you or me to have a, a, a positive feeling about somebody. It never says have a positive feeling about your enemy. How are you going to do that? Well, I don't know how you do that, but you can actually still do acts of love. You can still treat them with respect and different things, even somebody who's opposed to you. It's about what you do, and it's about your actions. How are you going to, how is a, a, a person who's had a spouse who for years and years and years has treated them poorly going to have a loving feeling towards them? They're not. But they're not called to have a loving feeling. They're called to do actions of love in that relationship. And there's something powerful in that. There's something incredibly powerful uh, in, in, in meeting and in, in doing the acts of love even when it's not being reciprocated. Which brings me to the next point. Jesus is going to have to be first in your life. If you're ever going to sustain anything about that like that, you're going to have to be fulfilled by something else. One of the problems with the world is this. They put spouses and relationships into the place of God in their lives. And let me tell you this, your spouse might make a great spouse, but they're going to make a horrible God in your life. It's an unfair place to put somebody in, your, in, in, in there as well. It's, they'll never meet that expectation. God is going to have to be number one in your life. 
If, if I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I'm going to have to first be filled with the love of Jesus and then outflow out of that. I don't have it in me. But when I love God first, then he gives me the ability to do that. See, biblical marriage is, is, has a concept. Jesus said, or, or Paul said about marriage, he said, um, that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Well, how much is that? Well, that's all of it. Jesus gave his entire life. He died for the church. Husbands, that's the kind of love that you're called to for your wife. It's agape love. It's the highest form of love. It's the, it's the love that God has for us. Agape love. Husbands, love your wives like that. Why? Because your wife's deepest need is to have that kind of love, that unconditional love, that love that's not based on performance or not based on looks or where she's at or how she wakes up in the morning or any of those kinds of things. You see, we need a security and we need to go beyond love as feelings so that whenever we're having a bad day, we can get through it or a bad month or a bad year. We can get through it. Why? Because we're not just basing it on how we feel. We're basing it on a bigger thing. We're basing it on beginning to do the actions of love. You see, when Peter was restored uh, by Jesus in John chapter 21, Jesus asked him this. He said, Peter, do you love me? And the word he used was agape. Do you, use, do you love me unconditionally and like I love you? And what's Peter supposed to say? He just denied Jesus three times. He's like, well, you know, I have a great affection for you. Phileo, he used a different word, a different word for love. Our translation, our English translation misses this. He used the phileo. He said, you know what? I have a great affection for you. I have a brotherly love for you. And Jesus said this to him, feed my lambs. And then, and then he asked him the question again, do you agape me? Do you love me? He said, well, no, I, you, know, you know that I, I have affection. I have a great affection for you. I have a brotherly love for you. Okay, take care of my sheep. You see, Jesus told him to continue to do the acts of love even though he couldn't say, I agape you. He, he encouraged him to continue to do the acts of love because, see, if we're doing the acts of love, eventually the feelings of love start to catch up. But if you're just waiting for the feeling of love to do any acts of love, you may not get there. Love is a choice. It's knowing the needs of another and choosing to meet them. If we reduce it to a feeling, we'll probably fall out of love. For wives, for husbands, it was love your wife. For wives, it's respect your husbands. Why? Because at the end of the day, what your husband needs is respect. If he doesn't feel respected, he will not feel loved. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an it's a thing about men and the difference in men, and, and it's about an economy that men have, and a deep thing in the economy of men is respect. When men feel disrespected, they're upset. It's just the reality. So for women, it's, it's not to love your wife or your husband. It's not to love your husband. It's to respect him. And let's just say this. It's just true. When we're sitting there and we're taking chunks out of each other, right? And telling each other what each other isn't doing right and how this isn't going and how you're not meeting this and you're not doing that, then we're not loving and we're not respecting and we're certainly not feeling that way on, on the receiving end, whichever way that goes. 
See, these are respect, these are individual dictates as well. They're not, this isn't something that the husband tells the wife, you respect me, and the wife says, you love me. No, this is between you and God. It's literally between you and God, and, and it's not based on performance. Jesus has to be first. Your spouse cannot be your God. And then number two, moms and dads, number two is not your kids. Number one, Jesus. Number two, your spouse. Your spouse has to be second, not your kids. There are too many people today who are getting their emotional needs met, not by their spouse, but by their children. There are three big times of divorce, three major times of divorce. One is the first year when you're trying to figure each other out. The second is literally the whole seven-year itch thing. It's real. It happens. The next one is when the kids leave the house. Why? Because parents have made life all about the kids. And everything, especially here in America, everything has circulated around the kids. Everything is done around them. And it's done at the expense of the relationship between mom and dad. Now, your kids are important. Don't get me wrong. But one of the real reasons that we need to have our spouse second is this. You're modeling for your children how to do relationship. And if your relationship is faltering and struggling, you're not modeling very well. We're not teaching it very well. We're not passing down. We're not helping them to understand how to do different things like conflict and relationship and all of these kinds of things. We have to model for our children so that they can go and do their own, their own thing. Because one day, that's the other thing, right? They're going to leave. They're going to leave and they're going to go start their own family. And, and the, dic- the, the, the directive there in the Bible is to leave and cleave. It means to go and start over. It means to go and start your own new family unit on your rules, the way you want to do it, and all of those kinds of things. You you, it's a new thing. You leave and you cleave. And when sometimes these parents, when, the, when their children leave, uh, they, they, they want to either stay in their business, right, because, which is an unhealthy thing too, because they, uh, that, that's been their business the whole time. Right? They haven't, haven't really done the relationship between the others. And then now they're gone, and, and, and now you're going to be forced to sit across the table from this person and, that you may not know hardly anymore. And you're wondering who this person is because everything about your life has been about the kids, and it's, done, and it's been done at the, at, the, uh, at the expense of the relationship that way. You see, God put a man and a woman in the garden. He didn't put a, a parent and a child in the garden. This is the fundamental, this is the foundational thing. And see, Adam, even as he, as he got uh, Eve there, and it says that God created Eve, and, and, and uh, Adam was like, whoa, man, whoa, man. <laughs> it's like, yes, she's awesome. Adam actually didn't date her. He didn't take her out to coffee. He, he, he didn't find out more about her. He just trusted and knew that God had a plan there, that God had good for him, that what God had made for him was made for his good, and it was made to, to, to complete him. And this is the picture in marriages, right? As we, and the difference between men and women is that we each bring something into this thing that the other really doesn't have very well. Like Anna, she's... That's, that's my, my female, my, my, I got in touch with my feminine side when I married Anna, okay? She's my feminine side. She helps me to be more thoughtful. She helps me to, be, to think about things from a different perspective and, and different things like that. And, you know, for a long time before we were married, I, I really thought I wanted to be just married to the female version of me. 
Like I wanted, I, I thought I wanted like, uh, you know, like I wanted her to do everything that I wanted to do all the time, right? Just everything that I would want to do. That's who she would be. And that's what she would want to do too. And I am so thankful that God gave me somebody who's so vastly different than I am. Because she brings to me things that I didn't have. And I think I bring to her maybe some things that she didn't have. And together we can be so grateful for one another. And and then we we turn into something much more together than what either one of us could ever be apart. So what do we do? A, you can't do it apart from God's Spirit. This is a big job. This is hard. Marriage is hard, but it's good. It's worth doing. It's worth doing well. It's worth sticking in there, too. When when we have the, the hard times, almost every couple that endures the difficult time that they go through, and marriages go through difficult times, almost every marriage that goes through that, when they get to the other side of that, they're closer than they were before, and they're grateful that they went through the hard thing together, that they didn't just quit. But there's, there are different times and, and there are different opportunities that we have to just quit. But you can't do it apart from God's Spirit. It's going to take God's Spirit to really equip us to understand this thing and to do it and to have the strength to really do it. Do things according to God's plan. Believe that God has a good plan for us. That what He's written and how He's written this out are for our good. And, and if you're a couple today and you're just like, wow, man, try to really talk about that physical intimacy stuff and that's really hard. I get that. That's really hard. It's really hard, but it's really good. It's really good to, to, to do that. And, and when you get to a certain place and, and you enter into a covenant relationship with, with that person who's going to be your spouse... And, and then you act on that and you, 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 uh, you bring the physical into your marriage, uh, you will never regret having waited. You won't regret it, I promise you. Or you won't regret asking God for a reset if that's what you need. You won't regret that and allow him to redeem that. See, a covenant is this and it's different than a contract. The world faces, treats marriage like a contract. And a contract is this. If you and I are in a contract and, 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 and we have an obligation to one another, and if you're making widgets for me and I'm paying you for widgets, if you make the widgets, I'm now obligated to pay you for them. But if you don't make the widgets, I'm not obligated to anything. The contract is broken and it's voided. But a covenant is different, and a covenant is the relationship that God is in with us. And again, marriage is meant to be this thing that we understand the grace and the forgiveness and the goodness of God through. You see, a covenant says this. It says, I will do my part regardless of what you do. I won't do it based on performance. And you see, God's covenant relationship with you and I is not based on our performance. It's not based on how well we're doing. It's not based on any of those things. It's based in His character and who He is. And our marriages or that covenant relationship to the call is, is to do our end of the thing, to do what God has called us to do, to not be people who are withholding, but people who are giving. And when we do that, again, that marriage, it, it moves into this place kind of, uh, uh, what is it we're always trying to find, uh, kind of motion, perpetual motion. 
It's a perpetual motion where you're getting your needs met and your spouse is getting their needs met, not because you're demanding of each other or because, you're, because it's performance-based, but simply because that you want to meet their needs. And the more they're meeting their needs and you're meeting their needs, the more you want to, and the more that this whole thing starts to just flow and it has an energy of itself. You got to learn how to give constructive criticism and take it. You got to open the lines of communication in your marriage if you're struggling. You got to talk about your needs and where you're at. You got to both give some constructive, notice I said constructive, (laughs) constructive criticism, and you have to be able to hear it too. You have to have open communication. You have to forgive each other. Just as in Christ, we were forgiven so much and again, this being an expression, our marriage is an expression of this. See, if you're going to have a marriage and it's going to last a long time, you're going to have to be good forgivers. You're going to have to. You're going to have to forgive and, and, and practice that. And, and you're going to have to be willing to, to, to when you say you forgive, you got to leave it in the past too. You don't get to pull that back out later. Right? If you forgive, you move forward. When, when the prodigal son came back to the father, the father never talked about the past. He only moved forward. He restored him. He brought him back. He gave him identity, authority, and set him free from his sin. But he never visited the past. He only moved forward. This is what we have to do. We have to learn to forgive. Forgiving, too, here's a couple things. It doesn't mean what you did was okay. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. It means what you did hurt me and it cost me something. But... I'm going to move forward. I'm choosing to move forward. I'm not going to be chained and anchored to that event in the past. I'm going to move forward. It's a decision. And it's love. It is love. And despite how you might feel about that, you can move forward in that kind of love. Make a habit of prayer. Pray together. Couples, pray together. Every day. You need to have... Because prayer equals intimacy, and to know what's on the heart of, of, of your spouse, the things that they're praying for, is, is intimacy. It's, it's a habit that we need to have. Tim Keller says that marriage has the power to set the course of your life, of our lives, in, in, to show you who you are, and it'll build you up or it'll tear you down. If your marriage is good, he says, even though maybe the rest of the circumstances of your life are in chaos, you can move into the world in strength. But if your marriage is bad, even if all the circumstances of your life are good, you'll move forward in weakness. Marriage is the security of our children. It's the bedrock of society. It's powerful. It's important. So Lord, I just thank you for the gift of of marriage. And I just want to pray and lift up today just... um, just every aspect, just, just folks who are single, people who are, who are waiting, uh, people who are, who are divorced, if, we're, if we have divorce, if we have singleness, uh, just if we're widowed, um, if we're married and we're struggling, if we're married and we're doing well, we just lift all of these circumstances before you and we just acknowledge and we know that you're good and that you're in the midst of these things. And Lord, I just thank you for your word and for your direction that, again, you haven't left us as orphans, but you've, you've given us ways through this. You, you've given us direction to, to, to do this and to do this well. 
Lord, I'm just praying for all of us and praying for the marriages within the church that they would be strong and that the families would be strong. And, and Lord, just for the relationships as they're developing, Lord, I pray that they would develop in a godly manner and that they would turn into fruitful and strong marriages. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us too with a, with a message for the world that, uh, that there are different, there's, a, there's a better way, that there's a higher way, that there's a way that you're calling us to and that it's good. Lord, we just pray that you would rescue just even our culture, our society, Lord, from, from the uh, effects of, of, of this and, and marriages that have, are faltering and struggling. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as the church to, to get this message out to the world that there's, that there's a difference and that there's, there's a different way and that, uh, and that you have a plan and a foundation. So, Lord, we just commit these things to you today. Uh, we just pray that you would uh, fill us with your spirit and that you, we would just be found doing all of the things that you're calling us to today. In Jesus' name, amen.